You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another typical winter day in the Pacific Northwest. In other words, it's raining. Thank goodness. Boy, do we need the rain. We are like negative rainfall here, and I think it's also raining in California, which they need the rain, but after forest fires is not necessarily a good thing in California, so everybody should keep those folks in their mind, uh, especially the folks from Paradise that all you know, lost homes, relatives, and family members. That's just a horrible situation down there. And that's kind of one of the things I might have to be thankful for is uh, we're getting some rain here in Oregon and fire season's finally coming to a close for Oregon. Um, And uh, I can be thankful for that. But you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we come to you live Four o'clock every Wednesday afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And this show is about you and getting you to call in and tell me what's on your mind and have a conversation because it's a whole lot more interesting than what I want to talk about sometimes. So give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and Mission Spirit Award winner extraordinaire, uh know you want to get in on the conversation and if you're curious about that go to our uh krbn internet news talk radio facebook page and you'll go down a post or so there and you'll see why i referred to robin my producer extraordinaire as the uh, mission spirit award winner uh, but uh here on the bose nose show today we do not have a guest host or anything like that unlike some of the national talk shows although i did hear Rush Limbaugh was hosting today, so at least he didn't have a substitute either. So we're right up there with Rush. Just wish I had his listeners. <laughs> but um, I want to know kind of what you're thankful for this year. You know, is there anything in particular different from this from last year maybe that you're thankful for? I mean, I've got all the usual things I'm thankful for. You know, I'm thankful for, you know, my wife and my family, you know, having good health and, you know, friends and all the usual things. But, you know, kind of this year, um, this election was sort of a reminder to me that I'm just kind of thankful that I live in a representative republic that has peaceful transitions of power, you know, with no, no, no major riots or anything like that. You know, we had a transition of power in our house of representatives and I don't think there was any, um, riots or bloodshed or anything in particular um, that went along with that transition. You know, there was some, uh, you know, late ballots found in some of the locations, but no riots, maybe some lawsuits filed, a few things like that, but no riots, you know, no bloodshed, just a peaceful transition of power. And, um, you know, that this midterm election, there were some concerns about that. You know, there were some actual words that were said that made it sound like um, some parties were not going to be satisfied no matter what, and that there was going to be trouble around this election. And I'm just happy that and thankful that we actually had a peaceful transition of power. But I want to know what, you know, you might be thankful for or anything else that's on your mind, because you can change the topic of the Bose Nose Show with the drop of a phone call at 646-721-9887. Just press one. That lets us know you're not just calling in to listen on your phone, um, that you actually want to get in, have a conversation, got a question or a comment, or just something to talk about. 
uh, on a different subject. But, you know, there are a few things going on. And, you know, one of the things, we have our agenda setting meetings and as board chair, I attend those and they're usually a week ahead of the board meeting. So I kind of know um, before the public knows what we're going to be meeting about. And I can tell you that it is going to be a busy day next Tuesday for the board of commissioners. We have a full session where we actually have a public hearing on the hours of operation for our butterfly parking lot that's across the street from our uh, courthouse and our free speech plaza. It's, you know, there are actually uh, four corners that make up the original public square of Eugene there at the intersection of 8th Avenue and Oak Street is what was the original public square that got divided in four when those those streets didn't used to go through. They used to go around uh, Park Street is the old way it used to go around uh, that block and the courthouse used to sit in the center of that block. Um, so it's known as the public square and the uh, two south corners of that are the what are called the parks blocks and the city of Eugene has hours of operation for those that run from seven in the morning to 11 at night and our free speech plaza that's on the north East corner is also got hours of operation that run from seven in the morning to 11 at night. And our butterfly lot never had hours of operation officially um, adopted for it. So we are going to adopt hours of operation for the butterfly lot that will match the other three um, parts of the public square that already have hours of operation. At least that's the proposal. But that's kind of Got a bit of controversy going with it because we had that whole um, camping protest that was occurring on the butterfly lot. And uh, we provided those campers an alternate location and they uh, voluntarily moved over to our a piece of property we'd actually foreclosed upon for non-payment of taxes over on Highway 99 that just happened to be across the street from the Lindholm Service Center for uh, homeless folks. It's a day center that provides showers and meals and a place for people to get mail and, and some other services there. So it was really kind of a convenient place to have the people so that it actually brought in more services. And we also supplied um, porta potties and hand washing stations and a um, running water at the site. Um, so it was a lot better situation sanitary-wise sanitary um, for the campers. So um, that was really, um, you know, a much better situation. But there are going to be some people that are going to object to the fact that we're going to establish some hours of operation for that property so that it is clear that we don't intend for people to occupy that property 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. So it'll be that'll be kind of an interesting topic. We also have some land use items on the agenda that may generate some public comment, and particularly the one that's probably been most controversial is the Hazeldale quarry proposal for a zone change to allow quarry mining there on what is was known as TV Butte up in Oak Ridge, right, right adjacent Oak Ridge was where the old TV station tower used to be located on top of this small butte. Um, and uh, it's obviously, you know, whenever you see a butte standing out like that, it's because there's usually some kind of basalt underneath of it that it didn't erode as fast as the land around it. And uh, thus, it makes a great place to put in a quarry mine and mine that basalt and crush it up and, and build roads and concrete and other things with it. So um, it was a um, project that uh, was that got um, approval for the zone change and uh, was appealed to the Land Use Board of Appeals, who um, basically remanded it back to the county to have um, additional findings to support uh, three issues, uh, one that's broken down to a bunch of sub-issues, and the applicant's gone through the process of um, addressing those issues that it was the remand of the decision was made on. And it's come back to the Board of Commissioners now to, 
deliberate and adopt new findings that address the remand. Um, and um, it's coming back to us with a recommendation from staff of approval. So we may hear something about that. Although it's not a public hearing, people can come in during our normal public comment at the beginning of our meeting at nine in the morning and talk about Hazeldale if they want to. They can also talk about the proposed revisions we have to chapters 13 and chapter 16 of our, our uh, county code that addresses, chapter 13 addresses the uh, processes around subdivision of land through uh, partitions and subdivisions. And chapter 16 has a lot of the zoning code. In particular, we're adopting standards around forest zones and some other zones. And uh, some of the changes in siting standards for forest template dwellings have gotten to be quite controversial. So we may hear some comments during our public comment on those issues too. So expecting a lot of public involvement at the Board of Commissioners meeting on Tuesday, uh, which is always interesting to look forward to. Um, it takes a lot of time in the meeting, but it's something we, you know, that's we're there as elected officials to listen because everyone in this country has a right of redress to their government. And that public comment is part of the way people can have redress and, 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 and voice their concerns to their government. And as the elected officials, that's what we were elected to do is to listen to those concerns. So I take that public comment very seriously. Um, I know sometimes people see me looking down during public comment. It's because I keep handwritten notes of what each person says or what they're supporting or, or, you know, they're fairly brief might be, you know, particularly if we have a topic that many speakers are speaking on, it may be just support or against whatever it is they're speaking on um, and just writing their name down so I can remember. Um, but I do take some notes and sometimes somebody will bring up some issues in those public comments I hadn't thought of and will generate some questions for staff um, later on in the meeting based on that public comment. So I take that public involvement very seriously and every elected official should. Uh, and I try and pay close attention. I try not to uh, distract myself with email or anything. Um, if I am on my computer, it's usually to um, look something up quickly that is reflected in public comment to possibly answer a question that's come up during public comment or to verify a piece of information that was um, put out in public comment. Uh, not so, it's never unrelated to what's going on in the meeting at the time. Uh, I, I'm not like some elected officials that will kind of, you know, be dealing with personal um, email and, and everything else while people are there trying to redress their government. Take that very, very seriously and, and you should if you're there for public comment uh, and you see distracted elected officials in front of you, you probably ought to say something about it as part of your public comment um, because we're, we're there and elected to listen to you. So gonna be an interesting meeting on Tuesday, gonna probably be pretty, uh, pretty busy, I can't imagine. So if you, know, you have any you know, thing you want to talk about, you know, the Hazeldale quarry, or if you have a comment about the butterfly lot and the camping protest and that whole issue, uh, give us a call here on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. But I want to get into something else because I personally have been caught up in this the last couple of days. In fact, last night, I was almost late for a meeting at six o'clock in the evening, well past you know, the peak of rush hour at five o'clock, I was trying to get down to the county parking lot, which is between 6th and 7th Avenue, and I accessed it off of Oak Street, and I was coming in 7th Avenue from the west, and um, it was the backup for the I-105 bridge repairs there on the Washington-Jefferson Bridge um, on 7th Avenue. Those two left lanes for the exit were backed up for blocks. Once you got past them, because I wasn't getting off there, I once you got past them, um, 
7th Avenue, the two left lanes became a standstill to get up onto the Ferry Street Bridge. And, and of course, I wasn't going on the Ferry Street Bridge, but where I needed to turn left was only two blocks before the Ferry Street Bridge. So I had to sit through that stop and go bumper to bumper traffic, basically from the Washington Jefferson Bridge all the way down to Oak Street. So about seven blocks of stop and go bumper to bumper um, missing traffic lights and stuff like that, seeing people get caught in the middle of the intersection and as the light changed and they couldn't move forward. Um, it's just a mess that that's creating. And, you know, it's kind of hard for ODOT to get around it in some ways. The bridge was in need of repair. You know, we don't want to have that, you know, issue that happened in Minnesota where a bridge fell down in the middle of a rush hour and people were, you know, we don't need, we don't need that sort of failure. So they're trying to fix this bridge, you know, fix before failure, not fix on failure. Um, and they're having to take out entire bridge deck segments to do it, which means you're taking out one way of traffic on that bridge and having to reroute both directions onto the other side of the bridge deck, the other you know section of bridge deck that runs parallel, which means you can't really add any more lanes and they're doing it and you get you're and no matter what, in both directions, you're taking three lanes down to one. And it was already a mess sort of because you're taking, you know, basically uh, five lanes, two lanes from Delta Highway and and at least three lanes from I-105 and funneling them down to three anyway coming across the, the Washington Jefferson Bridge. So when you take that five to three to one, well, it's a mess. But ODOT really can't do much about that. Couldn't really start the project this summer because they were doing the Beltline um, pavement repairs and uh, the Highway 126 pavement repairs. And there were some other projects that the city of Eugene was doing around that vicinity would have really messed up traffic to have that happen at the same time. So, you know, timing wise, I understand where ODOT is. The, the fact that they have to close down the lanes is unavoidable. What wasn't avoidable, unavoidable and gets the what were they thinking award of the week was back about 15 years ago. The city of Eugene, in its transportation system plan, had a new bridge planned that would have gone from I-105 Delta Highway area vicinity, sort of, and crossed over the river and landed just about the base of the Chambers Connector in River Road. And the idea was to provide another way to cross the river. Now... Had that bridge been built, the West Eugene Parkway, which we, you know, we all remember famously how that died, uh, even though the voters voted for it, you know, that would have almost provided a connection, uh, almost freeway from basically that would have been an alternate, the Beltline, if you take I-105, cross that Valley River Bridge, crossed over the Chambers Connector, and then picked up the West Eugene Parkway, there would have been very few traffic lights between Springfield and Venita. But there was an effort led by, the, by a group of citizens in the River Road neighborhood that fought against that bridge being in transplant and fought successfully to have it removed and killed as a project, future transportation project in this area. And the citizen that led that, that ultimately became his claim to fame and why he ended up ultimately being elected to public office later was none other than former Lane County Commissioner Rob Handy. For those that don't remember, that's the same commissioner that was involved in the, quote, book club and the public meetings uh, lawsuit with uh, L.I. Dumdi uh, and caused considerable problems for Lane County and ultimately caused us to settle lawsuits um, for a couple years when I first got elected commissioner in excess of a million dollars. And uh, so we can all thank former commissioner Rob Handy 
and wonder what was he thinking when he led the effort to kill a bridge that should have been built that would have, you know, we don't have enough bridges across the river. In fact, we're now proposing a new bridge as part of the Beltline improvements um, to connect Santa Clara, the neighborhood with the, uh, the North um, Gillum area of, of Eugene uh, because we just don't have enough bridges. Had we built that bridge across there at Valley River, the I-105 repairs wouldn't have been as big a deal. There would have been another way other than the Ferry Street Bridge to get across the river. And you wouldn't have had this massive traffic jam on Coburg Road that's going on nowadays. And the massive traffic jams trying to get across that, that one-lane bridge now, crossing the river. So everybody, you know, what were they thinking when the Eugene City Council caved to the demands of Rob Handy and a handful of River Road residents that fought the Valley River Bridge and got it removed from the Eugene's transportation plant. So along with the West Eugene Parkway, everybody say it together, what were they thinking, Eugene? What were you thinking, Rob Handy? And thank you, as I sit in that traffic, was actually scheduled to get downtown by 5.30 if, I, if traffic had been somewhat normal and ended up walking into the meeting at about two minutes after six. Thank you, Rob Handy. Thank you, former Eugene City Council and mayor that approved that removal of the Valley River Bridge. So as you don't get mad at ODOT about I-105, Get mad at the city of Eugene. And maybe you might want to ask them about putting that bridge back into transplant. But, you know, that, that reminds me of something else about transplant. And this is a little bit of what were they thinking, too. Does anybody realize that the city of Eugene, you know, just recently adopted their transportation system plan as part of the Envision Eugene process? And in that adoption, they accepted a level of service of ease for traffic congestion throughout the city of Eugene. E is a failing traffic condition. And the reason they did that is if they accepted even a level of service of D, it would have required them to expand roads and road capacity and they were they they absolutely are dead set against building any capacity for passenger vehicles in this city because you know we're all supposed to jump out of our cars and start walking bicycling or riding the bus or rollerblading or something other than driving a vehicle because you know passenger cars are evil we should all be on mass transit so just, you know, think about that. Think about the Eugene City Council approving a transportation system plan that, that basically says failing traffic patterns, which means, i.e., congestion is acceptable throughout the city of Eugene. And in the downtown core, they accepted an even worse level of service of F. So they're basically saying we want downtown to be congested because we want to make it inconvenient for folks to drive their vehicles and we want to try and, you know, socially engineer through inconvenience, a change in behavior away from driving your own personal vehicle. You know, last time I checked, there was freedom of movement in this country and they're not supposed to really dictate to us how we move about. So I just, you know, a little more, what, 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 what are they thinking? A level of service of E in the city of Eugene. No bridge, alternate bridges in their transplant, other than the one that might be part of the Beltline improvements. But, you know, they killed the one that would have been the outlet valve to I-105 and the Washington-Jefferson Bridge. So, 
Next time you're sitting in, the, in that mess on Coburg Road, anywhere near the Ferry Street Bridge, or if you're in the mess trying to get across the Washington Jefferson Bridge, or because people are trying to get around that and use other modes, you're in a mess out, out on Beltline, or you're in a mess trying to get in um, either um, Centennial slash Martin Luther King Boulevard across from Springfield, or Franklin Boulevard is a complete mess because of these I-105 repairs. It's not ODOT's fault. It was the city of Eugene's fault. So put that one in, the, in your back pocket and remember that. There's, there was supposed to be another bridge across the river from about where Valley River Center sits. Basically, if you took um, that, you know, that intersection where you get off at Valley River and extended that road out over the river and reconnected it with the Chambers connector, that would have been the connection available. So thank you, Rob Handy, for leading the citizen charge that got, that convinced the city council to remove that from the transportation system plan because now there's no good alternatives as they have to repair I-105 and make it sound. So that's my what were they thinking moment for the day. Got any of your own, Robin? Oh. I, Put I, you on the spot. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I would, well, we talked about this before, you know, about the six and seven streets about, you know, forget about driving a straight line. Yeah. And I went down. I can't imagine that's not helping with some of the congestion trying to get onto the the now one lane Washington Jefferson bridge. Oh yeah. Well, with the, with the rains um, coming, which has been for quite a long time, I went down Franklin Boulevard from Springfield the other day. And are you quite certain the guy that drew up the plans uh, wasn't just doodling? The, the, you mean the the double roundabout teardrop weird thing that goes on in, in, in Glenwood? Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, and the, all those squiggles and turns. Yeah, that one's uh, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, in fact, just when you think you're out of it, oop, here comes another slight curve. Yeah. And now it's dark and rainy, and you've got, I mean, I would definitely say that he gets a drunken architect award. Yep, yeah, that, that one's that one's pretty interesting, you know. Although, you know, we talked off the air just before we came on in a sort of what were they thinking moment. Fascinating to me that a judge is blocking President Trump's executive order to not grant asylum to people that are in the country illegally when it's my understanding and i'm and i haven't verified this for sure that the original um decision to allow people in the country illegally to apply for asylum was granted through an executive order by a previous president so actually, his executive order is just rescinding an executive order. So how can that be unconstitutional? You know, because the the judge's decision basically said it was unconstitutional for him to take that power as the executive. Well, if he couldn't do undo something that an executive order did, then the original executive order shouldn't have been able to do it. And it's just like, what was that judge thinking blocking that executive order then, or or? Why hasn't that original executive order been challenged that actually allowed folks that are that broke our law to apply for asylum in this country? Because if you're in this country illegally, you've broken a law first, and then you're pleading for the grant of asylum. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of a strange dynamic. You know, why can't you know? The other thing about it is when you break the law and enter this country illegally, you're jumping the queue ahead of all sorts of other people that are coming from horrible situations. We have a 10-year waiting list to get in this country from countries like 
the Philippines. And if you don't think there's horrible poverty and um, violence and everything else, you know, you haven't been reading the news very much about the Philippines where the president of the country was killing people that were on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a question for you. Um, I have a question for you, but first I'd like to, uh, again, at the bottom of the hour, especially welcome people that are watching us right now on Facebook live. If you'd like to join the conversation, Give us a call at 646-721-9887. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. And you can talk about uh, what Jay is talking about uh, or any topic that's on your mind. Or tell us, uh, just do some lighthearted things. You know, what are you thankful for or, or what type of dinner you're going to have or whatever. 646-721-9887. 646-721-9887. And, of course, you can always comment or send us an email after the program, too. Anyways, my question for you is... Uh, We've had a lot of federal judges that have blocked um, executive orders from the White House, but does that put uh, any of the thousands of federal judges, I don't know how many there are, above, as far as level of power, above the president? Um, No, and and this is an interesting question because it's really about what the, the founders tried to set up in our government which was the three branches in balance and checks and balances of each other, um, where the legislative, the executive, and the judicial um, really can't be completely um, independent of each other in some ways and, and dictatorial. So that you know, the judicial is basically just providing that check on the executive branch. They can't out, act outside the powers delegated to them under the Constitution. And of course, if the executive doesn't like what the judicial's done, they can always get um, the legis you know, try and convince the legislative branch to write law that um, would allow for whatever the judicial system was not doing or blocking. So that, you know, that the legislative branch can be a check on the judicial branch um, the executive branch has got the power of the veto um, to be a check on the legislative branch. Um, and even the judicial can be a check on the legislative branch because they can also declare laws to be unconstitutional. So there's, you know, there's this whole checks and balances. So I can't ever say a judge is above the president because, um, you know, presidents also have the ability to appoint judges. <laughs> so that was also part of the, the, the check and balances that that's, you know, the executive branch does the appointments and the judi- and the legislative through the Congress confirms the, the Senate. Um, so there's all these little built-in checks and balances, but it does seem like there has been um, quite an effort to use the judicial to overrule the executive. But, there, you know, I'm not a real fan of executive orders and the attempt to legislate to executive order. The executive orders should be meant to administrate because that's the powers granted to the president is to administrate the government. Um, so if a, um, an executive order has the force of legislation, then it is kind of in question to me. So then there's been a tendency and it was, act, it was expanded greatly under the Obama administration to utilize executive order when they could not get legislative um, cooperation from the legislative branch to, to pass law. And uh, as a strong believer in our constitutional system um, and keeping each of the three branches within the powers uh, enumerated under the constitution, we gotta be careful about that. We can't say it's okay for one president to use executive orders to legislate not and, and and not okay for another. What's interesting about this last issue though, is the executive order was actually, um, if um, I can depend on some of the reporting I've heard, reversing a previous executive order, which was legislated through executive order. So, um, but there is, there's also, it's kind of an interesting gray area because immigration is an administrative function that is somewhat delegated to the executive branch. So there's kind of this 
funky little thing going on there and a dynamic about, you know, what, you know, what's an administrative part of the immigration process versus a legislative rule setting for what the administration part should execute. So, um, and the judicial branch is supposed to determine, you know, when one's over, overstepping the other, just as Congress shouldn't be administrating any of the functions uh, other than broad oversight. You know, they're allowed to ask questions about how things are happening and all that, but they shouldn't be able to direct a federal department to take any sort of action. That's the executive branch's power. So interesting concept, but I never would say that, that you know, all these, and, and what's interesting is that we have so many federal judges, because I don't think that was envisioned by the founders, um, but all these federal judges don't actually sit above the president. They just have the ability to determine when the president may have acted outside of his role under the way that branch, that of the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, are supposed to act under our constitution. And that is one of the duties of the judicial branch is to provide that, that review of the other two branches and tell them when they are acting extra constitutional. Yeah, so don't really think that necessarily places a judge above the president. They're acting in the role they're supposed to be acting in. Now, whether they're abusing that and actually creating legislation to the judicial, that's a question mark. And there is the ability for the legislative branch to actually, um, you know, get rid of judges if they want to. Hasn't happened. Most judges usually, you know, if they're in danger of um, being brought before Congress and removed uh, from office, they usually resign first because <laughs> it usually takes something pretty serious. But, you know, if a judge was getting um, too big for their britches and consistently issuing rulings that were more legislative than, than um, judicial interpretations, uh, there's always the ability to, to impeach a judge. And that's a legislative branch check on the judicial. Fascinating the way, you know, that, you know, you want to talk about something I'm thankful for. If we get back to the original thing of what, what are you thankful for this year? I am so thankful for the vision and foresight of the original founders of this country in writing our constitution and having that foresight to create limited government that was empowered by the people and granted certain enumerated powers from the people and dividing it up into three branches that are meant to provide checks and balances on the other two um, through all these procedures they set up in the constitution. And, you know, just think about, you know, at that time it was an unheard of system of government, you know, and they really, um, you know, you think about the, 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 you know, the whole issue of impeachment powers, you know, that allows the legislative branch to keep a check on the judicial and the executive branch. You know, the whole ability to uh, make the appointments, you know, of the executive branch, but have them confirmed by the, the legislative branch for judicial appointments. You know, that all those things, all these checks and balances, they wrote those into the Constitution in 17... 85 about because I think it took a couple of years to get it actually um, approved because it wasn't in 1787 it actually got um, adopted I'm trying to remember when it went year wise trying to go from memory but you know this was you know over 200 years ago and these guys were forward thinking enough that today we can talk about an issue that wouldn't even have come up in those days, which is, you know, having a caravan immigrants trying to enter our country 
uh, outside of the established legal process to enter our country and request asylum. And, and that whole issue about who gets to make decisions around that and all it, and the checks and balances between the branches of government, that was set up, you know, when our borders didn't even touch between Spanish Mexico and the United States of America. We didn't reach and touch each other. There was wilderness between the two, unclaimed wilderness uh, that was inhabited by the Native Americans of this country and was their nations at that time. How could they have foreseen the need to have these checks and balances between the judicial and the executive and the legislative that would be able to handle a situation not even thought of at that time? It's just I'm so thankful for the the foresight and the inspired intelligence that went into writing our Constitution, which gets back to the whole idea of a peaceful transition of power that occurred a couple weeks ago in this country. And, you know, granted, there are bumps in the road, you know, with late ballots and, you know, undervotes and overvotes and and all sorts of questions and lawsuits filed. But I don't know if anyone that got killed over the, the, the election. You know, I am thankful for the process set up by our founders in establishing our constitution of this United States and continue to be thankful for that constitution daily. It's just an amazing document. So what are you thankful for here on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving as we are on Thanksgiving Eve? Are you thankful that President Trump pardoned peas and carrot, you know, at the White House, uh, the annual pardoning of the Thanksgiving turkeys there at the White House that started with President Lincoln because his son had gotten um, to treat the uh, proposed Christmas turkey um, as a pet and asked his dad not to have the uh, turkey killed. So he issued an official pardon for the turkey. Um, As the story goes, it was his son, Todd, that asked for that, that some kind of uh, reprieve for the turkey and he issued a presidential pardon. Um, I've always wondered if I were president, would I actually pardon the turkey? Because I sure like turkey. Are you sure you were talking about a bird or somebody in Congress? Yeah. No, he was talking about a turkey uh, and a bird. And I don't think there's anyone in Congress named peas or carrots. (laughs) That is seriously the turkey's name? The turkeys, they always have two turkeys now. I don't know why it grew to two turkeys. And they always give them some sort of name. And this year it was peas and carrots. And they had an online voting as to which one he should pardon. And Pease won out. Even though, even though according to the president, there were some late ballots found <laughs> for carrots, but he just couldn't quite overcome the difference. The votes but, are coming in on uh, U-Haul trucks. Yeah, yeah. But, but he basically said that, you know, even so, he he felt sorry for carrots and pardoned them anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like peas and carrots in my turkey. Yeah. 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 I think that's why they named them that, but you know, they always come up with some pretty clever names for the turkeys, but I wonder what would happen if one year the president just said, not, nah, not pardoning them, their dinner. Yeah. What the outcry would be. I was going to pardon these turkeys, but a federal judge overruled me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't within my powers. Or they, you know, these turkeys are involved in the Russian investigation. And I didn't want to obstruct justice. It was a, you're being, uh, what, not racist, but against a certain species, you know, singling yeah, out turkeys over, yeah. over other. Yeah, why, why aren't you pardoning, you know, pigs? Because you don't want to have uh, ham on, on, on uh, Easter or something, you know? Oh yeah, where where will it end? 
Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see some pretty good skits being written over that whole pardoning of the turkeys, particularly if a president didn't pardon them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I do like turkey. In fact, I've got a 20-pound turkey brining in the refrigerator as we speak. I'll be cooking that tomorrow. You know, and I, I'm thankful for turkey because I just I am one of those folks. That I love leftover turkey sandwiches. I love turkey. I love the I love the food coma I have on Thanksgiving. We purposely serve our Thanksgiving dinner in the early afternoon just so I have that opportunity to take that post Thanksgiving dinner nap. Yeah. It's one of the world's best naps is that that Thanksgiving afternoon nap. And get all rested up so when you have, uh, what is it, about six hungry-looking eyes looking up at you going, Daddy, feed me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got more than six. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, they're all laying around me right now as I sit in our our, uh, den here with the the laptop in my lap doing the Bose Nose Show with our our, – fireplace insert and it's a newer insert that's certified you know for you know being you know low low emission and just for those folks out there i i am on the l rapa board <laughs> but i've got our, our fireplace going with the you know this rainy cold weather the cat is parked front and center in front of the fireplace of course and the four poodles are scattered about the room and they will all be eyeing me uh, as we carve the Thanksgiving turkey. Uh, so that's 10, 10 eyes or five sets of eyes that will be uh, plaintively begging for turkey, of which they will get none because I do not believe in feeding dogs people food. Yes. Uh, be, be strong, DJ, be strong. Yeah, yeah. There, there's this thing, dogs don't have the same um, digestive tract that people do and the amount of fat and, and people's diets will actually cause dogs to get pancreatitis and other pro- have other problems if you feed them to if you get, get them into eat, regular eating people food so have to be really careful uh, about dogs diet and all that so as a sidetrack as we get into but the Bo's nose show veterinary moment do not feed dogs people food and please don't give a a cat or dog as a pet that you don't plan to keep for its lifetime? Yes, yes. That's just, I can't believe people do that. Then don't get a pet for Christmas for your kids. One of the worst times of year is to get a pet. Yeah. I heard this uh, on on the way in this morning. They were talking about adoptions, and they were saying that, uh, um, I can't remember what, what state it was in, but what they do is they kind of loan out a pet for the holidays and the reason being is uh, it gives you a chance to for the pet to get to know you you get to know the pet and they say that most of them that do this wind up in more than 50 percent of adoptions yeah i still question that in some ways because one of the reasons they tell you not to get a pet for christmas is it's a time of tumultuousness in a household and really when you introduce a new pet to a household it's better to be calm and on your normal schedule so the pet can get on that normal schedule. Right. If you start them out when the household's in chaos and everybody's distracted by a hundred different things, like the kids got a new uh, PlayStation, whatever they are up to now, um, <laughs> Xbox, whatever, you know, 9,010 or whatever, you know, they, they, I don't know what the number is because I don't play all those video games. But, you know, if they're all distracted by that and ignoring the puppy anyway, um, and and you're not keeping them on a regular schedule because you're staying up later than you normally would and and sleeping in and, and um, you need to run out to, to Uncle Joe's and visit for a couple hours and he's being left alone and stuff like that, it's just a bad, bad time of year to get a new pet. And it seems to me it'd be a bad time of year to do trial adoptions. Um, I kind of question the wisdom of, of those adoption agencies that do that, other than it avoids people from purchasing a pet um, at that time of year. Uh, it's just wait, wait till after January 1st when your schedule's back to normal. That's really uh, the best time of, of, of year, 
you know, if you're going to get a pet, because um, it is a commitment, uh, and our our pets become, you know, they they look at you as their pack, and you your family is their pack, and if you know when the pack's acting normal and is on a schedule, they're comfortable. But if the pack's acting all crazy and they're constantly running out, and uh, you know the, the alpha is running away at, at, at weird times from the pack it leaves them in turmoil socially and then they act out in odd behaviors like chewing on things and their stress or uh not adhere you know not getting house trained difficulties in house training that's all part of not having that regular calm schedule that they need to establish uh you know and and become part of a household so Here's the veterinary moment of the Bo's Nose Show. Don't adopt or get a pet for Christmas. I was going to say, are you talking about pets or the Eugene City Council? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, yeah, true. You know, <laughs> when, when they're in chaos, you know, part in certain times of year, they make some really bad decisions. You know, just like pets, you know, they choose to choose on your, chew your, uh, your grandmother's, uh, you know, rocking chair that's been handed down through a couple generations, uh, you know, because they don't know the schedule and they get all stressed out when you ran out to go to Uncle Joe's for a couple hours um, during the holidays. Uh, yeah, the city of Eugene does things like pull bridges out of transportation plans that would have been an outlet valve to the I-105 uh, repair project. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a little side note on pets. My cat has my schedule down better than I do. As soon as the alarm goes up, I follow her to the bathroom. Then I follow her to the kitchen, get her food. Then I follow her to the dish. Then I follow her to my coffee. And then I follow her over to my shoes where she's laying on top, looking at me like, uh-uh, you ain't going. Yeah. Well, you want to know how quickly pets get into uh, basically routines and all that. We, you know, we, had, we got a puppy last guess it was the end of July, early August. Um, and within a couple weeks of him being here, he sleeps you know, in a, in a uh, open, uh, you know, one of those wire crates in our bedroom. You know, it's just a part of his house training. And I get it, you know, when he was really young, I was getting up, you know, every couple hours, take him outside, watch him while he went to the bathroom and all that stuff, put him back in his cage, that sort of thing. Just like having a baby. <laughs> But uh, uh, he realized within a within a week or two of him being here that in our kitchen we have a weather station on the counter that sort of faces towards the hallway that our bedroom door opens out onto. And that weather station has a feature to it where it goes dim 10 o'clock at night, you know, so it doesn't light up the whole room. Right. And it's an auto dim feature and it comes back bright again at six o'clock in the morning, which is when our alarm usually goes off this auto dim feature on weekends. When we don't have our alarm set, when that thing comes on bright and he sees that little bit of extra light in the, in the hallway, it's time to get up. <laughs> he starts yawning and whining a little bit, you know, that little puppy yawns with the wine built into him. Yeah, and he wakes me up, and we have to get up and take him out. Sometimes I can get him to go back to sleep for a while, but um, he's learned that that, that weather station's auto dim coming on at 6 in the morning is a signal that it's time to get up. And that took less than a week for him to figure out. So I know what you mean about your cat knowing when the alarm goes off that she's supposed to go from your bedroom into the bathroom because that's the first place you're going <laughs> Yeah, they yeah. understand routine and they like routine. Yeah, I, I in fact convinced my cat, who uh, by the way has the title of alarm cat, <laughs> that uh, I'm sleeping in tomorrow, kitty cat. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you think she really understands that? <laughs> no, I can only know. <laughs> they don't. They don't. I know my my. Yeah, I'm hoping to sleep in a little bit tomorrow too, but. Maybe I need to put a towel over the weather station tonight before I go to bed. Honey, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm 
I'm preventing the auto dim. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh gosh, it's funny what what they'll pick up on, and mm-hmm. and, it, and it's amazing how they'll tune into certain words. And you know, it's just the sound; they don't really understand the word. But you know, we have one of our poodles that is absolutely obsessed with playing fetch with tennis balls. And we have to use other words than B-A-L-L and spelling it because she's learned both spelling and stuff like that where we speak about the orb or the sphere. And we had a poodle previous to that that was similarly inclined to uh, be completely obsessed about that to where if you mentioned the word, they would you know, be you know, go find one and bring it to you and then be obsessed with it for the next hour. Um, that she, we couldn't even use some of those words because she learned those words too. And we had another one that understood the phrase, you know, go outside, you know, you know so the, the word outside, if it was in a sentence, would immediately, you know, create, you had to go let somebody outside. So we started using the word exterior. And he learned that word <laughs> to where we started talking about going to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. When we were referring to going outside. So, yeah, they're amazingly smart and amazing how they'll pick up on routine and words and phrases and everything. Um, if I pick up my cell phone and say the words, I'd like to place a carryout order, I chaos ensues in my house. <laughs> Because they know they're going to get to go for a ride in the car to pick up the Chinese food or whatever. Of course, I'm I'm wondering how the the correlation between Disneyland and going outside kind of go together. Uh, it was just I don't know how we ended up with that phrase. We we were trying to find a word that was a substitute, and we were running out of things like exterior and uh, and all that. You know, so was, I think it came from where are you going to. At, you know, what are you going to do after this? I'm going to Disneyland, you know. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to Super Bowl, you know. Yeah. I'm going to Disneyland. Exactly. Yeah. So outside became Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of a wonderland, I guess. Yeah. It's pretty bad when you have to speak in code around your pets. Yeah. Well, they say dogs have a vocabulary of about 250 words on average. Yeah, I think my poodles have gone beyond that, but that's, yeah. I think there was one dog they claimed had a vocabulary of over 400, some border collie. Yeah. He so, probably had uh, that Rosetta Stone uh, language CD or something he, he learned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as we drift far afield in the Bo's Nose show that has just a couple minutes left in our show here on Thanksgiving, and I just want to say one thing I'm thankful for. And that is, I am thankful for the folks that listen to this show. We've noticed that our statistics have picked up a little bit. So there's a few more people listening out there in the internet world of internet radio. And I love doing this show because it does give me a chance to talk to my constituents on a weekly basis and a chance for them to call me that they know there's a time I'm available. They can call in and talk to me about whatever it is they want to talk about. Besides the fact that they can email me and leave voicemails and do all sorts of things, they can also email us between shows at talk at krbnradio.net and, you know, like us on Facebook, our KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. But I just really I'm thankful for the listeners. I'm thankful to my constituents that reelected me again this year. Um, so I've, I'll be around for another four years doing the Bose Nose show. As long as people keep listening, we'll keep having the show as long as Robin's willing to produce it for me because I'm also thankful for Robin, who does this show for, with no compensation, provides this platform of KRBN Internet News Talk Radio for free to me to do this show. Uh, it's really a great thing, and I really have to appreciate Robin and be thankful for her. I'm also thankful for the service she's been providing to her employer um, Pearl Buck Center, which is a great nonprofit in this community. So thank you, Robin, for everything that you do. And thank you to my listeners. We'll talk to you next week on the Bose Nose Show when we'll find out what happened with the hours of operation for the Butterfly Lot 
and what's going to happen with the Hazeldale quarry out in Oak Ridge and other controversial issues. And I'm sure there'll be something new to talk about. And you can also control the subject on the Bo's Nose Show. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next here in beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week and have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.